0: Let's go to uh, today, we're going to be in Luke 23, Luke 23, verse 13, Luke 23, verse 13. Um, again, I know it's a uh, family worship, so um, just know that that's okay, and we'll, uh, we'll try to make sure that maybe we can even bring some illustrations in here that kind of bring everybody together and help them understand as well. So I will need some Lego pieces to start. So bring me, your, bring me your favorite Lego piece to get this thing going. Okay, thank you very much. Okay, appreciate that. Everybody say thank you, Philip. Okay, all right, and Matthew. So we got the police. Look at this. We got, uh, it's more than a dually. It's got three wheels on both of the rear tires. Six. So we got six there, okay. Is that a truly? I don't know. A truly, there, and then we got or a, a try, and then we got uh, a dune buggy slash uh, police four wheeler, right? So, <laughs> in case you're in the high speed chase and you know you need to go off road, you've got it, right? Okay, okay. So, thank you very much, Matthew, and thank you very much, Philip. No, no, no. All I need to keep them, yeah, yeah, because I'm going to use them for an illustration. So, I know, I know. Yeah. So, hang with me here, because we'll. Sorry to break your heart, but we're going to have to have them for a few minutes, right? Okay. Now, we're going to come back to this illustration in a little bit, but I'm going to have to do something that might break your heart right now. Okay. So let's see if I can do this with this mantle, but kind of not too rough. Just enough to. Just enough to take a few things off of here. That yeah, I know. I know everybody's like, "Oh, gee, really? Do you have to do that, Dad?" Okay. All right. We're gonna we're gonna call it. We're gonna we're gonna call that good. Okay. And we'll just. I'm gonna be gentle here. Take the guy off. Take a tire off. And take the take the car. Okay. All right. I know. Okay. All right. Now, I'm going to explain why I did this in just a moment, okay? And then we're going to see if we can put it back together, okay? But I didn't do too bad. It's still there. I know they're a little distru- It's all right there, all right? Here's what I know. Big Brother can put it back together because he is a master at that. So if nothing else, we have the expert over here that can put it back together. Right, David? Sure. Okay, thank you. All right. Maybe even we'll get Lego glue so it will never fall apart. Okay. They make such a thing. So for the models that you want to keep and you want to you know, put on your thing, you can actually put glue and that way it doesn't fall apart. Because what do we know about Legos? They always fall apart and every parent in history has stepped on it in the middle of the night. Right? Uh-huh. You can't see it in the rug and you're stepping and oh, that'll bless you right there. Yeah. <laughs> You shout hallelujah, yeah. And so I may have had that happen to me once or twice or five times recently because we were on the Lego kick. But um, so here's the thing about the Legos. They're wonderful. They're beautiful. They're all good. But here's the thing about them. Um, They tend to fall apart very easily and quickly under force, don't they? Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so could we say that they're a bit fragile? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe... maybe even temporal. Now, that's a big fancy word, right? But they are are fragile. Now, hang on that spot, guys. We're going to come back to it. We're going to go to Luke 23, verse 13, and we're going to come back to the Legos here in a little bit, okay? All right. So, to give us a reference point today, let's remember where we are in the Apostles' Creed. Let's see if we can quote the Apostles' Creed together, guys. I know I'm switching it up on you. Then we'll read our text. Um, so let's, let's read the Apostles' Creed. This is the earliest of creeds um, known to the church and um, comes from the old Roman creed. Um, and then there's several creeds after that. But basically, this is the foundational premise of Christianity, what we believe, who Jesus is, our triune God. Let's read it together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born from the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, descended into hell, on the third day rose again, ascended to heaven, sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the remission of sins, the resurrection of the flesh, and eternal life. Amen. So today we're focusing on suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, descended into hell. This describes Jesus. Did you know that there's only three humans mentioned in the creed? Did you catch that? Jesus, because he's fully God and fully man, Virgin Mary, Pontius Pilate, right? (laughs) So um, I want you to know, first and foremost, that Jesus' crucifixion was real. You can write this down. Jesus' crucifixion was real. Jesus was a real person, it took place at a real time in history, and he suffered under a real person named Pontius Pilate. The reason that Pontius Pilate's name is there is not just arbitrary, his name is specifically put in there because who was in charge of the Roman province of Judea at the time? Uh-oh, did I lose something? Oh, okay. Did I lose a tire? Oh, okay. Okay. All right. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to get that put back together. Okay. And so the reason that Pontius Pilate's name is in there is because he was a real person, and he guess whose name signed the decree? It wasn't Herod. It wasn't Caiaphas, the high priest. It was Pontius Pilate because he's under the Roman jurisdiction, right? Okay? No, because it was his administration. And so The reason that's in there is because we want everybody, the the apostles wanted everyone to know that it took place in a real time and place, that Jesus' crucifixion was not fiction. It truly happened at a real time in a real place. This is included so that we would not question if Jesus really lived or died. Do you know that there's more than the Bible that confirms Jesus' crucifixion? Did y'all know that? Josephus, the, the Jewish historian, actually records that Jesus of Nazareth was crucified by Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. It actually took place in history. So Jesus' crucifixion is real. Now, why is this such an important thing? It's important because there was false teaching that said that Jesus was just a spirit, Oh, yeah, he may have manifested himself, but then he went up and he would just come back and forth and then on the water and then back and forth. No, this is important because you need to know that there was a historical death sentence sentenced for Jesus of Nazareth really happened. He really died. So this is very, very important to Christianity. Remember that there were false teachers coming against the church teaching saying that Jesus was, not, was, not, was just a spirit, but this actually took place. Jesus was fully God and fully man, right? So let's go to Luke chapter 23 and let's read our text for today, verses 13 through 25. Let's all stand together in honor of reading of God's word. Pilate then called together the chief priest and the rulers and the people and said to them, you brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find any guilt of, this, of the charges that you brought against him. Neither did Herod, uh, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. But they all cried out together. Away with this man and release us to Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, crucify, crucify him. A third time they said to him, why? What evil has he done? I have found nothing in him, no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him but they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. Father God, we pray today that you would enlighten us, Holy Spirit, for we cannot understand apart from your teaching and enlightenment today. And we pray, Lord, that as we make much of Jesus... We pray, Lord, that you would be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, David, can you do me a favor? Can you put this, can you come up? I need you, I need you to come up while, while I'm preaching here, and I need you to, to, to put it. Can you put it back? Okay. I didn't know if you needed help. Okay. How many people did you? No, that's all I pulled right there. So, David, you can be of assistance to them, right? You don't need an assistant? Okay. Okay. There you go. There you go. There you go. Okay. Now your job is to put this back together, okay? Can you come help him, David? Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Okay. We're going to come back to that. I promise I'm going to tie that together, okay? So y'all get to work on that, all right? Very good. So we see that Jesus' crucifixion <clears throat> was real, right? Uh, how do we notate things in history today, right? Well, that was under the Biden administration. That was under the Trump administration. That was under the Obama administration, The Clinton, right? Whatever happened during that time while that person was president, it was under that time. And so you need to understand that's kind of that same thing. Like, Pilate did not want to kill Jesus. Can we all agree with that? The text re- clearly shows a d- very divided man who was a logical man and could not see why in the world he should convict Jesus. But secondly, you can write this down. Pilate was swayed by the loudest voices. Pilate was swayed by the loudest voices. To say that Pilate is conflicted is a massive understatement. You can see that he's wrestling and he's wringing his hands. In fact, they bring... Now, let's just go through the timeline of the crucifixion of Jesus, okay? Garden of Gethsemane. They come and they arrest him. Remember that? And remember Peter? What does good old Peter do? He draws the sword and cuts off the servant's ear, says, not on my watch, it's not going to happen, right? Jesus says, put that away. That's not what we're doing here today, right? Because he's submitting to the will of his father, right? So they take him off and they take him off in chains and cuffs. They take him to Caiaphas, the high priest, because this is a, this is a religious trial because uh, Caiaphas is head over uh, the, the, religion, uh, the Jewish religion. So he is in charge of that. And so they, they do this mock, hasty trial. They convict him of blasphemy because he's claiming to be God right? That's what they convict him of. They send him to Pilate and say, crucify him. We've already convicted him. Now you go ahead and execute your Roman judgment on upon him. Pilate says, hold on, wait a minute. I don't even know what you're doing or what you're trying to do here. I'm not just going to condemn this man who I have no Roman record. You know, he's got no warrant or arrest record or rap sheet on him. So why in the world would I just throw Jesus you know, out to crucifixion? He says, no. And then he learns that he's from Judea and Galilee. He says, oh, I'm going to send him over to Herod he says, I got a way out here. He thinks he's done. Honestly, he thinks he's done at this point. He sends him over to Herod. Herod then puts Jesus basically on a show as a, as a magician and says, hey, would you do some tricks for me? Would you do some healings for me? Because I've been wanting to see you for a long time. And he treats him kind of like the court jester, do something for me, right? When he realizes that Jesus is not going to play that game, then he wants to be done with Jesus too. He says, no, 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 I, this, no I'm not going to sign this. I'm sending him back to the one who's over this whole area. The Romans want this area? They got it. So they send him back over, and now he's back to Pilate. And the text that we just read is from that exact section. And you can see Pilate again as Jesus. Hey, I don't find any guilt in you. Basically, Pilate's saying, give me something here that I can go off of, that I can throw some meat over to Caiaphas and his guys to get rid of this whole thing, and we'll make this all go away. He wants that desperately because he doesn't want Jesus' blood on his hands because he believes Jesus is not guilty. You'll see that in the text, right? Very clear. Pilate is a man of logic. He follows where the evidence takes him. He's a man of logic, and he, but here's the problem. While he's a man of logic and, and he follows where the evidence takes him, he is also a man who loves power and control. Okay? And in the, in, in the Roman Empire, power and control was everything. That's how the Caesar ruled. That's how he consolidated power, was with, with a heavy hand. And so they were, heavy upon, uh, they were heavy upon Jerusalem and upon all the Jews to make sure that everything was in order because the Romans were known for everything to be in order and they had a heavy hand, i.e. the crucifixion, if you went out of order. So we, what do we see here? We see very clearly there is a statement here. It says, but they were urgent. After Pilate says, I don't find any guilt in him, look at verse 23. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And then here it is, and their voices prevailed. Their voices prevailed. He wants to keep the peace, and he loves his position. In his control, more than he's concerned about Jesus' acquittal. The voices of hate prevailed that day. They hated Jesus of Nazareth. He was not one of them. Think about this. He was not a religious elite. He didn't come from Caiaphas's family. He wasn't born in Jerusalem in the best house. Let I, may I remind you what we talked about last week? Our Lord was born in a feeding trough. In a feeding trough, guys. Okay? With stinky animals. That's how Jesus came. I can tell you absolutely that Caiaphas and the whole scribes and priestly order absolutely detested Jesus detested him because he was a commoner. He was a blue-collar worker. He was a man of the people. He hung out with sinners and tax collectors. And they hated Jesus as a result of this. And ultimately, he claimed to be God and to be able to forgive sins. And for that, they must crucify him. There's a lesson for us today. The voices of pride and hate still seek to disperse, coerce and force their opinion in direct opposition to the humility of Jesus. And the question is, which voices will we listen to? See, Jesus doesn't scream at you. I don't know if you know that. Jesus is not a screamer. Even when he was in the temple overturning tables, we had no record that Jesus raised his voice or was screaming in hate or anger at those No, he demonstrated it, but there was still the grace and love of Jesus there. Now listen, the voices of hate will scream at you. They will demand your attention, just as they demanded Pilate's attention. But you have to listen to that still, small voice, that humble voice. And with his voice, there is clarity. As the church of Jesus, we don't need to listen to cultural voices that seek to destroy. We need to humbly speak of the one our soul longs for, worships, and is made for. Our allegiance, hear me, church, is to the lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. And that is the voice that we hear. That's the voice we revere. It is the humble voice of Jesus. And when we are tempted to act, behave, Or go into the public discourse and be like the public discourse with voices of hate. We need to resist that temptation and speak the love and truth of Jesus. Everybody with me? Pilate could have easily, could have easily gone the other way but he chose not to. Now, we ultimately know we can say in the greater picture this was the Father's will, his plan in history, absolutely. But I do think that there's a point here for us that we cannot listen to the loudest voices that we are tempted to often do, right? You ever heard that squeaky wheel gets the oil, right? That's not biblical, <laughs> okay? That's, that's not in the humility of Jesus, Jesus humbly speaks. In fact, do you remember when Pilate, when they first meet, Jesus says, I mean, Pilate says, and especially in the Gospel of John, he records it this way, you have this continual conversation, and Pilate is trying to get Jesus to even say something. And they say a f- he says a few things, but the ultimate question is, are you the king of the Jews? Because that's their claim. Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, it is as you say. And that was it. That, that Luke records, that's all we got. Now, John records a little bit more, but that's that's what we we have, the humbleness of Jesus. So we need to make sure, and my question to you as a church body, as an individual follower of Jesus Christ, is make sure that you are not swayed by the loudest voices in the crowd. But lastly... We can see this beautiful, and this is, this is the beauty of the, of, of the line of the Apostles' Creed. We can see that Jesus finished the work. You can write that down. Jesus finished the work. He finished the work. Look at verse 44. It was now about, of, of chapter 23 of Luke. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Okay, this would be in the afternoon. While the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. And when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breast, and all his acquaintances and the, and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. John records it that he, he, he replied, the Greek word, tetelestai, it is finished. It is done. It is finished. Jesus finished the work. Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried but he finished the work that the Father gave him to do, and the good news is since he finished it, you don't have to. You hear me? Since he finished and did the work, you don't have to do the work. You don't have to prove your goodness because your goodness is in Christ alone. Amen? You can't add to the work Hear me, the cross is enough, it will always be enough, and you don't have to be good enough because He is God enough. Amen? Where is that Lego piece? Do we have it completed? Do we have it completed? There's the key word, right? Here's our tie-in. We got the completed truck? All right. Oh, you did it. Here, give me some. Okay. Okay. You got, you got yours completed? Okay. That's okay. You can keep working. That's fine. That's fine. Let's keep working on it. All right, here we go. The truly, I guess, I don't know. What do you call one that has the three wheels on, on the back? I don't know. Y'all can, y'all can look that up or make that up. I don't know. But anyway, here we go. Here it is in completion, right? It is completed. Now here, here in this case this is where I'm also going to try to tie it in for you. When Jesus died on the cross and he said it is finished and he breathed his last, the work was done. And that means no outside force could come and destroy and tear apart anything that he had already completed and finished. Does this make sense? What Jesus did on the cross when he said it is finished means that the work of, the, of doing what it took to atone for your sin and to atone for my sin was completed. The apostle Paul says that our sin record was nailed to the cross and that we don't bear it anymore. He canceled the sin record for you and for me. Now that's good news, isn't it? And that means it can't be destroyed. Now, humans can destroy this. I could stomp on this right now and break your heart, and that would be awful. But let me tell you, when Jesus... You you beat me up. Well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But hear me. When Jesus said it is finished, it was finished, period, exclamation mark, done. So you and I don't have to be good enough because He is God enough. Isn't that good for us today? This is the central part of Christianity. This is why we believe what we believe, because we believe that when he died on the cross, he atoned for our sin, and it is through the precious atoning blood of Jesus that we have redemption in the forgiveness of sins, as Ephesians 1 says, and we've been extraordinarily forgiven and brought into the family of God. Isn't that good? You and I are no longer enemies of God, but it says that we have been reconciled. Do you know what that word reconcile means? Put back together. Literally, mended. Now, it's like garments. I don't think that Paul was thinking of Legos. But literally, it means that it was put back together. What, God, what Jesus did at the cross, Romans 5.1, says that when, he, when we were separated enemies of God, it says that he, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ and we have been reconciled. We've been brought back together because of the finished work of the cross. The cross has the final word. And that word is good news for you and for me today. And no outside force, hear me, the culture, no other king, no other dictator can destroy, damage, the work of Jesus on the cross can't happen. In fact, what did Jesus say? He said that the gates of hell will not prevail against me, he said, because I'm the Christ, the son of the living God, as Peter confessed. And so know that Jesus, through the cross, it says, and we don't like to think of this, but we were enemies of God because of our sin and our rebellion. We were enemies of God. But it says that because of the cross, he brought us near, and he brought us together with God the Father through Jesus the Son because he paid for our sins. And that cannot be destroyed. This is why the Apostle Paul can say in Romans 5, I'm sorry, in Romans 8, that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. The cross has the final word. Jesus finished the work, and the finished work is why we can come to Him. So, hey guys, you don't need anything added to that work. You need nothing added to that. You just need to come, simply repent and receive in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.